Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOT. And joined as always on Fight Night Weeks, we got my guy John Stargaring. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 35, headlined by Edson Barboza and Giga Chikadze, a very interesting featherweight fight. And it's interesting to see Barboza get this comfortable at 145 pounds as quickly as he did. A lot of people thought that he'd just be going out there and dying, but he's two and one at this division now. Arguably could be 3-0 at this division and continues to look better and better with every single time out. So, John, I'm just going to pose this question right off the top to you. Did you think that Barboza would have this much success in this <clears throat> weight class? And not to mention, go out there and knock out Shane Burgos like he did the last time around? Uh, no, I did not think he'd have this much <laughs> success at 145. I, I mean, honestly, usually when you see guys <clears throat> jump down and wait late in their career, it's typically a pretty clear sign that the end is near you know you don't really like to see that guys in their mid-30s after they've spent a ton of time in a weight class especially a guy as big as barboza going down in weight but he's looked better than ever down here and ironically the lack of elite grapplers at 145 probably opens up a path for him where he might actually be able to make a run at something yeah, it's interesting. Him and Aldo both going down in weight classes and having tremendous success outside of that Piotr Jan fight for uh, Jose Aldo and obviously that Marlon Moraes fight, which obviously <laughs> could have gone either way as well, right? So uh, it, it's interesting seeing these high-level Brazilian fighters going down a weight class, a weight class that are not a lot of people that either of these guy, guys thought could make that weight and now we're still having some good success over there. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Barboza brings it to the table, especially with his third scheduled five round fight that he has coming up this weekend. All right, John, let's not waste too much more time. Let's get into this fight. And uh, I, before we actually went live, the first thing that I said to you was, I don't really like many plus money spots on this card when we're talking about money line and totals and you kind of echoed my sentiments, but I come to you for plus money spots. I come to I'm, I'm like if anybody uh, if anybody's gonna you know make a case for an underdog, it's my guy uh, John. And it's great that we actually have the first fight kicking off the card is Mana Martinez versus Guido Canetti. And right off the bat, uh, when when people when this fight was scheduled, actually the spot that I was looking at most and hoping that they were gonna make the widely available line the under two and a half in the spot because I would hammer that stuff immediately and make that my lock of the night play as. You know, both of these guys combined, I think, what, maybe two or three of their fights have gone over that yeah. two-and-a-half round mark. Even the under one-and-a-half is it more often than not for these guys. Uh, Mano Martinez comes with a ton of power, some good striking, decent jiu-jitsu, but it could definitely be better. We obviously saw him get submitted by Draco Rodriguez on the Contender Series a couple uh, fights ago. Whereas on the flip side here with Guido Canetti, I uh, believe he's coming off two straight losses now. Uh, one of them being to Marlon uh, Vera, where he got submitted in the second round. And then he got knocked out by Dana Batkaria last time around at UFC 248. So he's taken about a year and a half off. Mundo Martinez has been trying to make it to the UFC over and over again. And here is the spot coming in on short notice. He was actually, I believe, uh, he was scheduled to fight. Uh, let me just pull that up real quick. Uh, scheduled to fight Trevin Jones, pulls out of the fight. Scheduled to fight Jesse Strader last week. And that was another spot that I was looking at that the potential under two and a half as my lock of the night play. But goddamn, this feel this fight feels like it's going to be absolute violence. So in terms of props, got to look at the unders, right? Uh, under one and a half, minus one hundred five. I'm not sure if it's going to be done that quickly. But if you want to just look at statistics and historically speaking for both guys, it hits more often than not with the under one and a half. Fight doesn't go to decision is probably the safest way to go about it. If you don't mind eating a little bit of chalk at minus two sixty, somebody's going to sleep eventually. Um, but I do think it's ultimately going to be Martinez who gets the knockout here. Uh, minus 110. Again, I wish we got a nice little plus money on that, but I'm sure the odds makers are privy to the fact that both these guys are going to go out there and bang. 
but I do like Martinez in this spot. Uh, the line is too wide, and I'm going to le- uh, send it on over to you in terms of explaining why you believe it's wide, because I know you have a play on Canetti over there. But yes, I do believe the line is a little bit wide, especially if Canetti's not, or if Martinez is not able to get this done early, things could get a little bit sweaty. But the 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 thing on the other hand is that Guido doesn't seem to have great cardio of his own either, right? That's a little bit of an issue in this spot. But I'm expecting violence. It could come from either way. Both guys have knockout power. Uh, I'd say Martinez is a little bit more proven in terms of being able to dish out the power and kind of take the power in in, in return. Uh, but Guido could definitely swing some leather as well, too. I like Martinez. Martinez by KO minus 110. Or the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 260. Again, I know it's chalky. I'm expecting pure violence here. I'm expecting somebody to get a finish. Sean, why do you think that Guido is a good underdog in this spot? And then ultimately, what do you think is the best prop in this fight? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like <clears throat> particularly passionate about betting Guido Canetti here or about, you know, Guido Canetti as a UFC fighter in general. But I, I do think it's worth considering. Like, yeah, look, he's 41, massive concern. He might be chinny. He's been finished, you know, the last his last three, last four losses, actually. But and I get those points, and it is fair when you look at Mono Martinez, who has, I think, eight of his ten fights have ended in finish and seven in round one, something like that. You have a guy who has seemed to be fragile taking on a guy who is known for his power. But the other side of that coin is you look at the guys who have been finishing Guido Kennedy. Kyung Hyo Kang, not a bad loss. Marlon Vera, after he won the first round of that fight, not a bad loss. And Dana Baccarol, who looks like one of the best prospects in the division. And so I think keeping that context is kind of important because what we have with Mata Martinez is a guy who seems to hit very hard. But regional KOs can be tricky sometimes, for one, especially because the level of competition was quite low. <clears throat> and for two, there's not really a whole lot of other data about his skill set. You know, he got, he got taken down a couple times regionally, and what he displayed on bottom was very, very concerning for me. Now, Kennedy's not the biggest wrestler in the world, but he will attempt takedowns you know, here and there, and so that's a path for him if he decides to go for it. And on the other side, you know, Locke, you touched on it. Kennedy can hit kind of hard too, and so while we know Kennedy can get put out and Mana hits hard, I, I don't see why it can't be the other way around too. You know, there's a lot of questions around Mana. I'm not sure anybody's ready to say he's super durable and he's very hittable as well. So ultimately, like, yeah, I give him a very strong chance to knock out Kennedy, but I think the longer this fight goes, it has to favor Kennedy just because of the grappling upside of nothing else. And early on, while I, you know, give Mana a higher chance to knock Gito out early, I think Gito's pretty dangerous as well here. So yeah, like I think slight favorite Mana makes sense. I think the line as it is on the money line is crazy. Um, in terms of a prop, I actually think I like two props. First of all, like Locke said, I also, you know, it's not my style to really ever advocate big juice. And I'm not saying I'd play it myself, but in terms of what I'd like for this fight, fight doesn't go the distance. If you can get that under minus 230, I think is a pretty good number. But if you want to go to the moon and take a rocket shot here, I think Kennedy plus 900 KO and on some books over offshore, he's plus 1400 is a great bet. I think, you know, if you assume these guys are going to swing leather, I think you got to price KO higher than 10%, which is what the market's pricing it now. Yeah, I didn't even see that actually. Plus 900 Kennedy KO. That's a ridiculous line and definitely worth a little bit of a sprinkle considering that this fight is more than likely going to be a firefight. And we've seen Martinez get hit in the past and Guido again, as much of a joke as he might be in the betting community, the guy can still crack. He can definitely throw leather, and he's definitely not UFC caliber. But when you have a fight like this, a scenario like this, I definitely see that plus 900, plus 1400 being live in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Pat Sabatini versus Jamal Emmers. Speaking of almost a, a complete opposite of what we're going to be getting from the first fight, uh, we could see some grappling from either side in this part. I think if there's grappling initiated here, it's more than likely going to be coming from the Pat Sabatini side. 
Jamal Emers, great grappler in his own right, but I've been bit in the ass way too much expecting him to go out there and grapple, and he does not grapple. For all I know, he's probably going to go out there and grapple here against Pat Sabatini. However, I do think he has a very distinctive advantage on the striking, and even with the cardio, I do think it's definitely better and more more so in Jamal Emers' favor here. I do think that we'll see Sabatini attack the grappling, but I think that we'll see uh, Emers defensively sound here, kind of nullifying the amount of uh, success that Sabatini will actually have. Maybe we see Sabatini have some success in that first round, but after that, I think we'll see Emers be able to defensively uh, keep the grappling uh, away and make this a stand-up fight, make this a striking fight. And that's where I think that Emers truly has the advantage. Now, I know Elmers is just coming off that Cachero, uh, uh fight that he had where he was able to show off his striking in that fight. I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him to establish his striking here. But I do think that he'll be able to do it effectively probably in the second and third rounds. And the later that this fight goes on, I think he'll start to pull away with it. Uh, I've heard Sabatini's working on his striking. I heard that he's you know slowly trying to round out that part of his game as it more than likely is as weak as part of his game because he's able to just go out there and bull rush most of his opponents. But when he's fighting a guy with Jamal Emers' level of grappling, I think he's going to struggle to you know have as much dominance as he's had in the past. And obviously, this is a big step up from Tristan Connolly, who he fought in his UFC debut. And again, he was even slowing down in that fight you can't be slowing down against a guy like jamal emers i do believe the overs are going to hit in this fight which is why the juice minus 225 is the over one and a half or over two and a half right now but i do like jamal emers to actually win this fight via decision which is currently sitting at plus 135 i really like that prop here as i do think he'll be able to control this fight no matter where it goes he might drop the first round so possible live betting opportunity on emers afterwards if he's plus money going into round two but i do think after that he should be able to start controlling the striking land the better damage and then ultimately pull off the judges decision plus 135 not too bad especially when you're getting what is it minus 150 on the uh, money line here for jamal emers do you share the same sentiments in me or do you think that this potentially has a chance of going under as well i mean it has a chance of going under yeah i mean it, in theory i i do largely think a significant portion of sabatini's win condition is a submission to be honest with you i and so yeah i mean it could go under but Kind of like you, I don't really like the under here, though. Uh, I personally think Emers has him covered standing, but I do agree with you. I think it's going to be hard early on for him to establish range. But even with that being the case, like I don't think it's a scenario where you should really look to live bet because that assumes Emers is going to lose round one. I actually think Emers, I think he's the better wrestler. Like if they put on Geese, I'd favor Sabatini, but I think he's the better wrestler. And if you actually look, especially at the Cachero fight, Emmer's in the tie clinch is pretty nasty there. So unless, you know, Sabatini can get him down, he's probably getting getting out volumed in the clinch pretty substantially, I think. Uh, and then kind of to your point, I kind of think the longer it goes, the more it favors Emmer's better boxing, better striking in general. I look, it's binary in respect that if Sabatini can get on top of him, then yes, this is probably a bet on Emmer's probably a bad bet, but I don't really think he can. I don't really think he can hold him down if he does. And so, you know, with that being the case, you know, what do you look for prop wise? Because I bet Emmer's on the money line. Um, in terms of props, look, Emmer's didn't not didn't finish Vince Cachero. I think Sabatini significantly more high level than Cachero is. I think you know Emmer's in most of his fights. People don't really realize it. I think his biggest finish threat most of the time is his submission game. It's actually pretty good. Uh, he's not submitting past Sabatini. Of that, I'm very very confident. And like, so sure he could, you know, maybe flash KO him, but. I think Embers is just going to look to touch kind of like he always does on the outside and probably just wins to a unanimous decision. So, look, if I cap Embers 70%, which is about where I capped him, I probably cap his decision at 50 55%. And, you know, it's being priced at plus 125 right now. So I think it's pretty decent value. 
I like it as well. Yeah, I'm I'm actually excited to see the grappling sequences in this fight because I do think it could definitely be fun. We know that Sabatini is going to be pursuing it pretty much from the get-go here because I'd be surprised if he goes out there and thinks he can actually yeah. go out there and strike with Emmer's, uh, you know, minute by minute and think he can actually win it. I would love to see the progression and the improvements in Sabatini's game, but it's hard to truly cap that from a fight-to-fight basis and especially with the level of competition that he's going to be stepping up with here. I think it's going to be difficult for him to go out there and showcase that to the best of its abilities. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And talking about step up in competition, we got JJ Aldridge going up against Vanessa Demopoulos. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 400. JJ Aldridge, when's the last time you saw her that big of a favorite? Even against uh, Courtney Casey, I wanted to pull it up, but unfortunately, for some reason, best fight odds has JJ Aldridge under a different name so you can't even see what her past is. i'll pull it up when you're uh when you're when you're doing your breakdown here but uh jj aldrich minus 400 plus 325 on vanessa demopoulos i think demopoulos is taking a little bit of a step up in competition here the hard nose striking of jj aldrich i think is going to be the difference maker in this fight you know she's not she's decent technically speaking you know what i mean she's able to kind of move forward and really throw straight st- shots down the middle and really kind of back up her opponents we saw her have tremendous success against macy barber in that first round and even you know put her on wobbly legs at certain points so that's a different that's something people are more, more than likely having to give they have to give that more respect than you know just looking at it on paper and saying oh jj aldridge she doesn't have that much striking or that much finishing ability one of our good buddies mr rockstar z likes jj aldridge inside the distance here but i think that's being a little bit too uh too happy on the aldridge side you know i mean i think he's kind of demeaning vanessa demopoulos a little bit too much um you know demopoulos i don't know where she truly wins this fight outside of an armbar from guard type of situation she has a little bit of a crafty bjj game obviously as we saw she was able to pull off that inverted triangle against sam hughes uh, i believe that was to win the lfa title that night uh but you know she doesn't really serve much else you know her striking really isn't that great she has a couple of kicks i think she has a 50 50 uh 59 inch or 62 inch reach compared to the 67 inch reach that we're going to be getting for jj aldrich i know they're the same weight class but i think that we'll see a distinct size advantage in favor of jj aldrich on this side yeah Yeah, i I think we'll definitely see a distinct size advantage for the jj aldrich side here so i think like even if aldrich decides to take this fight to the ground and kind of just grind her out on top i think she'll have tremendous success and not get caught in any type of uh uh you know arm bar from guard situation or anything like that i do think her best path to victory would be to keep this fight on the feet and just kind of outstrike Demopoulos just keep pushing forward and just landing those one twos down the middle and I do like her actually to win this fight by decision and obviously at minus 400 especially in a women's MMA fight that decision line is probably going to be juiced and it's actually sitting at minus 145 at this point in time I don't mind it you know in theory it's almost like playing her straight here um you know I, I I'm trying to think back actually I'm, I'm just going to pull it up right now the last time JJ Aldrich even got a finish was Catherine Lowe, 6-8, 2016, September. <laughs> she knocked her out in the, uh, in the first round in three minutes. Is Demopolis that bad? Uh, you know, I'll let you, I'll let you decide this since you're like uh, hunting for your dogs here. But I am going to pick Aldrich. I'm going to pick her by decision minus 145. Uh, again, I'd like a plus money spot in this fight. I, I just can't seem to put my finger on it. What, what do you see in this fight props-wise? Is there anything juicy enough for you? I'll tell you who got the uh, who got the spot right here, and that is Rockstar Z. To be honest, okay, um, I, I I haven't bet it yet, but like, so let me take tell a little story about you know when Tisha Torres fought Sam Hughes and Fanduel oh. dropped a minus one ten oh. over one and a half broken line that I put about six hundred bucks on, which lost when the fight out ended after the first round. Now that was a doctor stoppage, but 
I bring this fight up because watching that first round live, I was like, oh my God, the level difference here is just so insane. Like she actually might finish her. I don't think I made a good bet at all. Um, the reason I bring it up is because I think when you look at Vanessa Demopoulos, I think she is a far, you know, worse striker than like a Sam Hughes was. You know, I appreciate what Vanessa Demopoulos brings, which is tons of aggression and obviously very opportunistic submission game, even if I don't think her jujitsu is the best. But the reality is she's a punching bag on the feet and she doesn't have good wrestling and Aldridge has a pretty good get-up game. So like I look at this fight and first of all, look, I'm not laying the minus 400. I have a suspicion that that's probably value, to be honest with you. I think Aldrich is going to do whatever she wants to Demopolis here. Uh, look, she's has no KOs in the UFC, but she hurt Macy Barber. You know, she is a sharp striker, and Demopolis is going to get hit in the face a lot in this fight. Plus, you don't really know what's going to happen. Like, Demopolis pulls guard so much, she might just end up with Aldrich mounting her and finishing her on the mat. Um, I actually think Aldrich ITD is pretty interesting here. Uh, I can't get behind Demopolis in the spot, even though I do like some aspects of her game. Interesting. So you are giving so it, like it. It almost seems like one of those spots where it's like Sajar Eubanks against the last girl she fought was Elise Reed, where yeah. you know you don't see any finishes on uh, Eubanks's record for the last couple of fights, and uh, people are just automatically think that she's going to win this fight by decision. But the skill gap is just massive, especially in the ground in that fight in particular. Let's see if that that's the case here with uh, JJ Aldrich and Van Vanessa Demopoulos. And I I don't hate it in the fact that the line is so huge, right? It's just so wide yeah, that yeah. Uh, you know you, you might as well take a little bit of a sprinkle on it if you do like it. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to hit on the pick at all. Personally, I'm going uh, Aldrich via decision. She should kind of win this fight from minute one to minute 15. But uh, just for you guys who are trying to ship it to the moon here, uh, I'll try to, you know, <laughs> uh, definitely try to have some hopes for you guys in, in that spot as well. All right, let's go on to the next fight here. We got Dustin Jacoby going up against Darren Stewart. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 185 for Jacoby and plus 160 for Darren Stewart. Now, Darren Stewart obviously doesn't have the greatest public perception right now, especially considering how his last fight against Eric Anders went, where, you know, probably one of the more boring yeah. fights that we've ever seen, just getting hugged up against the cage and getting clinched fucked in that fight. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to me that he decided to come back once again at light heavyweight in the spot. He does seem like he'll be quietly, uh, quite undersized in this fight against D Dustin Jacoby. And I think he was just liking the fact that he didn't have to cut weight last time. And he wants to get back into the cage pretty quickly and try to erase that loss off of his record last time. Um, this, in my opinion, I feel like the line is a little bit wide on paper, but when you still look at it, it feels like Dustin Jacoby should still go out there and have his way with him in the striking realm here. I think that Darren Stewart will struggle to kind of close the distance and get his own strikes off. You know, he seems like a guy that relies more so on his punches than his kicks, uh, which, you know, I think is going to be a big factor in this fight, especially trying to close the distance and land some good shots against a big guy like Dustin Jacoby. Uh, and then Jacoby on the flip side, great leg kicks, great calf kicks, as we've seen in the past. Obviously, spent a lot of time focusing on his kickbox in his boxing in between the time that he got cut from the UFC initially and coming back. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to play this fight. I do think that there's a decent possibility that um, that uh, Dustin Jacoby could actually find a, a knockout in this spot considering the, the size difference and the relative skill difference in the striking. I, I want to say Jacoby you know, is a notch or two above Darren Stewart in this spot. Uh, the under is kind of intriguing to me at plus 150 considering that we should get a striking match between both of these guys in this spot. How safe is Jacoby really going to play it? You know, We know Darren Stewart has some power in his hands, but on the flip side, we know Darren Stewart could definitely be knocked out. And this is his first time fighting like you know a true striker in how many fights now uh like i'm, I'm just looking back mackie piccolo decent striker you know 
uh, Edmund Shabazian before that. Now he's finding Dustin Jacoby, who's very well-rounded in, in the striking realm. The under kind of piques my interest, but I might be reeling myself away from that. I do like Jacoby here. I think he is the rightful favorite. I do think the line is a little bit wide. Uh, Jacoby via KO plus 300, not too bad of a line in my opinion. That's probably what I'm going to go with. Jacoby, KO, plus 300. How do you feel about this one? Um, Somewhat similar thoughts. I actually think, yeah, I've actually been dabbling with the idea of betting Jacoby this week, to be completely honest. I, I just, I don't know. My opinion on Stewart has dropped so far. I just don't think he's looked great lately. You know, when he's at, he's striking has gotten wilder and wilder. He seems to be getting more hittable and more fragile. And it seems like whenever he goes out there and tries to wrestle somebody, it just doesn't end well for him. It's either him gassing out or him just giving up awful positions. Like, you know, we've seen a few times uh, and Jacoby, look, he's a kickboxer. His grappling is somewhat suspect, but you know, Kudalaba landed nine takedowns against him and only controlled him for four minutes. Uh, I don't, if he's not holding him down, if nobody's really controlling him, the aggression's not, I really don't think that um, Stewart's going to get big control time here. And so with that being the case, I think my favorite side here is uh, fight ends inside the distance at plus 125. Because whatever else you say about Stewart, he does hit very hard. Like, he's hurt a lot of guys in the UFC. Um, and, you know, if he does bait her, he could club and sub Jacoby. And on the flip side, you know, obviously Jacoby's going to hit Stewart a lot here. And I do think Jacoby's pretty dangerous. His attritional works better. And Stewart's probably going to be pretty tired late in this fight. So I, you know, it's a fight at 205. Like, I don't see how this isn't like 55, 60% to end inside the distance. Like, it seems like it finishes more than one, one out of two times. And so plus 125, I think that's a decent spot. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't give as much of a thought as uh, I should have earlier, but plus 150 for even the under two and a half. I think that's a great spot here. Again, Big boys who like to strike. I doubt the grappling advantage that Stewart has on paper here is going to come to fruition, especially considering how much success we've been seeing uh, Jacoby have in terms of nullifying the grapple-heavy approach that a lot of his opponents have had and then going out there and having tremendous striking success. I think at a certain point, Darren Stewart's going to be like, fuck it, I'm gassing myself out too much trying to grapple. Let's go out there and strike, and that possibly opens up the gates to a finish in this fight. So, yeah, I'm glad that we're kind of on the same side here with that uh, under two and a half spot or fight doesn't go to the decision like you're saying all right let's move on to the next fight here um we got sam alvey somehow with a job still after going 0-5-1 in his last six fights going up against wellington Terman here in terms of in terms of odds we got minus 130 for Terman, plus 110 is the return on sam alvey and this seems like one of those it's it almost seems like a Derek lewis fight right you know that one guy's going to be winning the fight for the majority of the fight, and then we'll probably get knocked the fuck out. And I expect that to be, uh, you know, a big thing here, especially with Sam Alvey having the amount of power that he has. And then Wellington Terman, who is just not showing great durability over his last couple of fights, specifically that Andrew Sanchez fight. I think that was like the least predicted outcome is for Andrew Sanchez to win that fight via knockout. He goes out there and shows his new tools in his hands that he was working on and knocks out uh, Terman. Then the next fight, a lot of people expected Terman to kind of deal with the striking and the power of Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva still finds a knockout. That guy is an absolute savage, especially when it comes to the power. One thing we can always rely on Sam Alvey is durability and knockout power, and that's all he's going to need in this fight. His takedown defense still kind of holds up. You know, his ability to get back to his feet is really good, and I truly think for Wellington Terman to have success in this fight, he's going to need to have grappling success. That's going to be very hard to do against a guy like Sam Alvey. So... One, I'd be surprised if Terman puts him away. Two, I'd be surprised if Terman lasts 15 minutes without, you know, uh, the, this fight taking place on the ground for at least five to six minutes of those 15 minutes. I don't see that happening. I see Sam... <clears throat> 
doing his classic Sam Alvey thing, moving, you know, backwards, back against the cage and just throwing heavy hands. And I think eventually he's going to land on Wellington Terminal here. The line that kind of stood out to me the most and surprised me was Sam Alvey by KO at plus 300 is absolutely ridiculous, as that's probably his best win condition in this fight. He's not winning minutes. Let's be honest. He's not winning minutes. It's more so like the Dao Nyung fight, if I'm not mistaken. That was a fight where he had him on wobbly legs and got like a, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he got a 10-8 in that round. It's those situations where Sam Alvey wins fights is when he hurts his opponents really bad and doesn't get them out of there. But more often than not, when he hurts his opponents, he gets them out of there. And considering the lack of durability that we've been seeing for Wellington Tournament recently, I don't think he's going to be able to stand up to the power of Sam Alvey that well. I wish the money line was a little bit wider, but I think that this is quite accurate, which is, again, hilarious to say considering the uh, the, the the skill difference here. Skill for skill, Tournament probably blows him out of the water, but this is MMA, and we know what the fuck could happen, especially when you have a power like Sam Alvey has. And I truly think that we'll see Sam Alvey go out there, find the knockout in this fight, and cast that plus 300 for us. So I do like Alvey plus 300 to win this fight. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I like Alvey here. I uh, bet his money line when it was about plus 135. Nice. Uh, to be completely honest, first of all, I do like the KO prop. I think, you know, that's a fairly, like, obvious bet. I do think, you know, given what we've seen from Terman, I mean, especially, you know, you could forgive the Sanchez fight, him getting knocked out in a firefight like that. What you can't forgive is being KO'd from guard like that. You know, getting put out cold. He didn't even seem like he got hit that hard, which is remarkably concerning. Uh, on top of which, you know, Terman has no striking defense whatsoever. I respect how aggressive he is and how willing he is to throw and grapple. But if he does that here, I guess he could try to do what Marquez did and go nuts and get Alvi out that way. But Marquez is stupid durable. I don't think Terman can win a fight where he's getting landed on clean consistently. And so his other option is to do what he typically does, which is the Alonzo Menafield, throw a combination, <laughs> sprint into the clinch. But like, is he a better clinch game than Sam Alvey? You know, Sam Alvey was winning clinch fights, you know, with Ryan Spann up at 205. You know, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that Alvey's going to, first of all, I don't think Terman can do much in the grappling here, just in general. But second of all, if he's clinching as much as he typically does, I actually sort of think Alvey's going to be winning those exchanges, to be honest. So... Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't favor Alvi to win minutes per se. I agree with that. I actually do think um, he can win a decision, though, even though I think it's one of the more less likely parts of his win, win condition. But, yeah, I mean, look, if he gets finished because he's old and he's shot or just gets out-volumed, okay, you know, I can live with that. But I think the opportunities are going to be there to finish Herman. They are every fight against everybody he fights, and Alvi's probably the biggest hitter he's ever fought, who's also fairly accurate and a somewhat sharp counter-striker. So, yeah, I like Alvi, and I like the Alvi KO as well. I love it. I love it. Again, it, when you're when you're betting Alvi, you're expecting to lose the majority of the fight until he finds that knockout. But luckily for him, this is a very winnable spot, and considering the lack of durability from the uh, Terman side, I'm sure we'll see a knockout in the spot. Glad we're on the same side there as well. Uh, next fight up, I believe this is the prelim headliner. We got Abdul Razak Al-Hassan going up against Alessio DiCarico. Minus 240 on DiCarico and plus 200 on Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. And it's hilarious how things play out, right? You get jo Joaquin Buckley come off as a minus 250 third against DiCarico back in January. Gets knocked the fuck out. And now DiCarico here fighting a guy similar to Joaquin Buckley Although, you know, he probably only has five minutes compared to the full fight with Joaquin Buckley. Um, and you get the complete opposite odds. You get uh, D. Carico coming here as a minus 240 favorite. Now, pretty 
easy way to break down this fight, right? Al Hassan probably wins first round, which is how he has all of his wins, or he gasses out or starts to slow down, but shows good enough durability that you know you still won't be able to put him away. So more than likely, you're going to see Decreek yeah. go out there and try to grind him out for rounds two and round three. So that's one thing you got to give to Al Hassan, even though. You know, his productivity and his activity starts to drop off in the, the second and third rounds. The guy is still gritty and tough and uh, tough as nails and very hard to put away. And I think that D. Carico will struggle to put him away in this spot as well. With that said, I kind of like the overs here. You know, this is a spot where I don't think that Al Hassan will find that knockout. Uh, if he does and if you do think he wins... You know, taking him by KO at plus 330 is probably the best way to go. Or taking him to win around one at plus 575 is the best way to go. Outside of that, you got to believe that D. Carico probably starts to take over in the second and third rounds. And then ends up winning this fight via decision, uh, which currently sits at plus 180. I don't mind that line, especially considering the money line on D. Carico here is minus 240. You're getting some good odds on him uh, in terms of this spot. And especially considering his win condition. Not notoriously known to be a finisher outside of that Joaquin Buckley finish. And uh, Al Hassan, definitely great, uh, great durability as we've seen over his last couple of fights. Uh, but D. Creek, I, I feel like he'll play a little bit safer in the second and third rounds, and just try to see that judge's decision in this spot and try to pull off a uh, pull off a decision victory here. So, like I said, plus one eighty, I don't mind that, especially when you're getting the money line here at minus two forty on Alessio D. Creek. I think he wins by decision. Uh, if you want to look at the overs, the over two and a half is plus 100. That's not too bad of a spot either. You know what I mean? If Al-Hassan does have some success in this fight, maybe it comes from his grappling or his judo, which, you know, we always think we're going to see, but we never end up fucking seeing. Maybe this is a spot where he knows he has to flip the script and really try to change it because this could be his pink slip fight, right? If he loses this fight, he's probably on his way outside of the UFC. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I... I I wouldn't be surprised to see a different Al Hassan, but I do like the overs in this spot. Over two and a half, uh, and then obviously Kariko by decision, plus 180. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I actually, I don't think there's value on a side here, but I'm completely with you on the overs. I, I guess my view is, obviously Al Hassan's live to finish him early. Like we've seen Di Kariko get hurt before against, you know, I think, I think Cummings hurt him twice in his last fight. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and so, you know, he's, he's capable of being finished. I could certainly see Hassan putting him out early, but still, you know, Dick is actually fairly defensively sound. He tends to, you know, mind his P's and Q's pretty strongly in there. And so I, I don't really think you can highly rate the chances of an Al Hassan finish. And so on the other side, it's like, I don't know. DiCarico is not, he's so low volume that, and he doesn't really attempt submissions much. So it's kind of like, unless Al Hassan just completely death gasses and quits, or, you know, DiCarico catches another head kick, but what are the odds of that? I kind of think DiCarico is going to be content to win a low volume decision. In, in terms of the skills, look, I mean, I think we all know Al Hassan's more athletic and more explosive. And, you know, I do think, you know, he can make DiCarico work in the first, the first round, possibly even win the first round, if I'm being honest. But, we know he doesn't have much cardio, and given what we saw Jacob Malkoon just do to him, you know, I'm pretty confident DiCrico is a better wrestler than Malkoon is. And so I kind of think if things get dicey for him at any point, he can just go to the wrestling and just handle him there. But, you know, Alisson's a tough guy. You know, he got he made it three rounds with Amari Akhmedov. He made it three rounds with Munir Lizez. You know, he's not an easy guy to finish, despite what happened in the Chaos Williams fight. And so DiCrico, who's not really much of a finisher, is going to be the guy to do it. I don't know. I don't really buy that. I think... I think it goes the distance more often than not, to be honest with you here. And so, yeah, I like to go the distance of plus money here. I, like I said, I don't, you want to take any of the shorter props. I don't mind it either. If you want to take the minus 190 over one and a half, like I said, I don't think a first round finish is a very high outcome. So I don't think that's bad either. 
Uh, shout out to Nevro here. Hassan got dropped with the jab. How is he durable? I totally forgot about the Chaos Williams fight. I don't know why that just completely went over my head. And I had that some money on so Alex on there too because I thought Chaos Williams was absolute doo-doo. But yeah, again, Chaos Williams, completely different level of power when we're talking about Alessio yeah. Carico as well. So he I also don't, caught I, him square on the chin, right? Yes. I mean, he put him like out, out cold. Beautiful counter, beautiful power, beautiful precision. You know, I think that's a very low percentage outcome here, especially uh, with a guy like Alessio Carico who doesn't show chaos williams type power even though he no. knocked out joaquin buckley in his last fight al hassan is durable i'll tone it down with extremely durable to just durable just because yeah, of that yeah. so shout out to my guy Nevro there i appreciate the uh the 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 correction there all right let's move on to the next fight here actually we're going to the main card and i actually Ooh. like to uh take this time to remind you guys hit that subscribe hit that like and i actually finally got the club and sub channel in the description below so make sure you guys go over there <laughs> click that and hit the subscribe over there i love those guys always doing their shows on a wednesday night 10 p.m eastern and the ringleader the circus leader over there mr uh john stargarian always doing his best to corral those guys and have a good show so make sure you guys go give them a look as well and then obviously i have cody's channel linked in the description below for those of you that don't know cody will only be doing the pay-per-view episodes of the property web show so i still gotta show him some love and we obviously have his three best bets that we're going to be going over at the end of the show as well. All right, main card time. We got Gerald, GM3 Mirshard going up against Mahmoud Muradov. Probably, I believe he's the biggest favorite on the card here. Minus 600, Mahmoud Muradov, plus 450 for GM3. I've been having a difficult time figuring out whether this fight's going to go over one and a half or under one and a half. Pretty certain that Muradov's going to win this fight. That's like almost a foregone conclusion. Like, if I don't mind, I, oh, 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 I can't wait to get to John's side here. I can't wait to get to John's side here. But I do think that Muradov has him almost covered pretty much everywhere in this spot. I think <clears throat> if there was any way that GM3 was going to win this fight is if uh, Muradov does start slowing down later in his fights, which we've seen once, albeit it was against Alessio DiCrico, and it was on short notice. And since then, we've seen Muradov go out there and produce three uh, sorry, two third round knockouts. Uh, so he's definitely trying to clear that up and uh, showcase that he doesn't have too many flaws. Great striking, good wrestling. I think his jiu-jitsu defense is going to be good enough to fend off anything that GM3 tries to throw, him at, throw at him here. But I think the big difference is going to be the speed in which these guys strike. And GM3 is so goddamn slow with the strikes. I feel like Muradov could almost fight this in matrix mode and probably find a knockout. But it just depends on how he approaches it, right? Maybe GM3 goes in there and tries to clench up with him. He's a big dude at 185 pounds that a lot of people kind of just look over and forget about but he's a very big dude and i feel like he can push Murdov up against the cage and possibly have some success in the clincher but i only think for a limited amount of time and i'm not willing to you know you know bank heavily on the fact that Murdov is going to go out there and you know sleep him in the first round i think that's what a lot of people are expecting to happen here i do think Murdov went inside wins inside the distance i'm just not certain how early or how late this is going to come so the way that i'd look to play it Murdov inside the distance uh sitting at minus 150 surprise surprise uh but i wouldn't even mind uh the round props here round two for murdov uh plus 450 round three for murdov plus 900 i'd rather play it by the rounds rather than method of victory considering how juiced they're going to be but i do think that murdov gets this fight done inside the distance again over under one and a half rounds not 100 sure if the widely available total was under two and a half i would probably hit the under two and a half in the spot john give that credence to gm3 that i know you're about to drop here and then ultimately which props you think uh are the best in the spot yeah i do like gm3 at the current number to be honest i haven't bet it yet but it's the numbers trending up and i think i'm going to look I'm, I'm not a crazy person like i think Murdoch should be favored don't get me wrong i i have no issue with that 
I guess my issue is number one, I kind of think there's a lot of misconceptions about GM three. Like people remember him getting knocked out by Heinish and getting knocked out by Hamzat. And then they just kind of write him off as a striker. I actually think the biggest issue with GM three as a striker is he's just defensively void, but his hands offensively, I honestly don't think are bad. You know, his metrics are pretty decent. You know, the Anders fight, Anders is typically a pretty tough guy to hit. Uh, and GM three was lighting him up on the feet in that fight. Now, again, I'm not saying he's a great striker, but I think he's competent and he is somewhat high output. So with that being the case, that's one of my fears for Muradov here. Like we saw Muradov go life and death with DiCarico in a super low volume fight. You know, we've seen when guys don't engage him hard, he'll kind of like let the fight be at that tepid pace. And, you know, you don't really want to be back in a tepid pace up at like an 82, 83% implied, you know, favorite here. The other part is I still think the grappling is a bit untested and a question mark. You know, his takedown defenses look good, uh, but no one's really tried to go after it aggressively. Like even Sanchez only attempted two takedowns in their fight. And so I'm not saying Mirshark definitely can hit takedown. Certainly possible Murdoch can stuff them, but he'll at least try, you know, probably try harder than anybody who's fought Murdoch to date. And if he does get him down, look, again, my – General assumption is Murdov is probably okay down there. But if he's not GM3 or even has any cracks in a GM3, you know, I don't think he has great jujitsu, but again, it's like kind of similar to Demopolis in the fact that it's very opportunistic. Like, you know, he goes, looks for finishes. He doesn't really look to play the position game. And so with that finishing ability and the fact that I at least think pace wise he can keep up. It's just hard for me to see Muradov being like that big of a favorite. I think he's close to like 70%, which still, you know, decent size favorite. But, you know, that's enough for me to take a small stab at GM3. In terms of props, though, I do not think this fight will fend inside the distance if Muradov wins, who I do think is going to win. What I actually like here is the uh, not Muradov KO, which is plus money. I believe it's plus 125 if you have that. Wow. Um, if you don't have that, I think Murdoch by decision isn't bad at plus money either. But the not KO angle for me is just look, GM3's gotten KO'd famously twice, and that's what we're all remembering. And just ignoring the fact that, like I said, Murdoch's pretty happy to have a low volume win a low volume decision. Um, and the fact that GM3 is going to try to grapple a lot, and you probably have a lot of weird clinch exchanges. So I don't mind a Murdoch decision stab. I, I just think his KO being priced at 60% just doesn't make any sense. You know, I think fading that is, you know, a decent bet here personally. Interesting, interesting. I, I really thought that the, the striking advantage, uh, well, I still do believe it. I still do believe the striking advantage that Murdov is going to have in this spot is just going to be a little bit too much for GM3 to deal with. Uh, intriguing spot, though, with that not Murdov by KO line. Um, yeah, goddamn, I, I really don't know what to say about that, but we'll, we'll see how it transpires uh, this weekend. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Um, minus 500, Andre Petrovsky. Going up against plus 400, uh, Mr. Michael Gilmore, I believe the kid's name is. Um, this Petrovsky kid looks like he could really be the shits if he goes out there and has some good cardio, but it just doesn't look like he has the cardio. You know, uh, His one loss on the regional scene before making it to the Ultimate Fighter was to Aaron Jeffrey, who I do think has uh, a bright future and will be in the UFC in no time. So I don't think that's a bad loss to have on his record. But the one thing I like to see from Petrovsky is in pretty much all of his fights, he goes out there and tries to get that takedown. Because on the ground, more than likely, he has the advantage over his opponent. He has a great uh, jiu-jitsu background and obviously the knack for going to the ground and obviously, you know, looking for the finish. It almost seems like he's super aware of the fact that he has bad cardio, so he needs to go out there and get the finish. But uh, I'd, I'd be 
kind of kicking myself this week if if he goes out there and decides to not grapple and tries to pull a Mark Madsen and just go out there and just strike for fucking 15 minutes and not try to you know get that get that gas tank uh, too riled up. But you gotta believe, considering the lack of uh, submission defense and grappling defense that Michael Gilmore shows in his fights, that Petrovsky knows that he can just go out there and steamroll this guy. I'm quite confident in Petrovsky in this spot. I do think that he has about six to seven minutes to win this fight. Outside of that, I could get very, very dicey, especially for a minus 500 favorite, which is why more than likely I'm going to be attacking this fight from the the totals perspective. Right now, we got the under one and a half sitting around minus 140, and I feel like that's pretty much playing Petrovsky on the money line, considering that is when conditions probably come within six or seven minutes of this fight. There is obviously a very small chance that he could go out there and win a decision, but I believe that if he has grappling success in this fight, he will more than likely find that finish on the ground. If this fight stays on the feet, it seems like he's a little bit uncomfortable there, and Michael Gilmer definitely has enough power in his shots that he could potentially put Petrovsky on his butt, as we've seen Petrovsky on his butt on the regional scene at times as well, but he seems to have the wherewithal in terms of parlaying those knockdowns and then reversing the position and then getting back on top. Gilmore does not look good, though. Three out of his, or actually all three of his professional wins, all coming under one and a half and all coming via submission. Not a good look. Let's throw in the uh, Gilbert Urbina fight from the Ultimate Friday. That's four fights, all four losses, under one and a half rounds. I'm expecting the same thing here for him. I think that Petrovsky will get this fight to the ground. And rather than playing minus 500 on him, I'm going with the under here. Or even if you want to take him straight up, I think the round one was plus 110. Submission was plus 140. I think those are the best ways to attack this fight. If Gilmore wins this fight, it's probably coming via Hail Mary knockout. And that's currently sitting at plus 865. I'd want at least like a four-digit plus number on Michael Gilmore to win by KO to even take a sprinkle on that shot. But luckily for the under two and a half, in case there is some Hail Mary bullshit that Gilmer wants to pull out and, and you know actually land on Petrovsky at least it will be covered in that one and a half mark not often do I like to play under one and a half spots um but this one just feels like it's screaming out to me I feel like the level of comp or sorry the level of skill here is so far apart between them especially in the grappling room that this should almost be a walk in the park for Petrovsky um yeah, I, I like Petrovsky in this spot. Uh, gas tank, not so much, which is why I like the under one and a half. Uh, but I do think that he's going to cruise in this fight, probably find a first round TKO or submission. Under one and a half is the one that I like here the most. How do you like this matchup, brother? Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to take a contrarian take on this fight when I went to tape it, you know, because it's kind of ring like, seemed like the classic fight for me to pick a dog out here where you have, you know, this unknown with six fights going off at minus 600. Except, you know, I looked at it and just like, I can't really disagree with the line that much, you know? Um, yeah. The reality is Michael Gilmore, he's not a very good grappler. He's an extremely low-level fighter, if we're being honest. You know, he really doesn't belong in the big show. Uh, as you touched, on the grappling, it's super concerning. And even seeing Urbina on his back, like when I taped Urbina, he is not a great grappler, man. And, you know, he made him look like the me and Maya down there. Yeah, and the guy was just making a lot of fundamental mistakes, like pulling the arm or the wrong way to turn into a triangle. Like... Just a lot of stuff you don't want to see, and he's shown no takedown defense at all. And on the other side, look, I don't want to like say what I think Petrovsky's upside is yet until I see him wrestle, you know, guys who are a little bit better. But the reality is, he looks like a pretty damn good wrestler, to be honest. Um, he knows what he's good at, and he goes for it. You know, he's going to try to close distance. He's going to try to get the takedowns. He turns the corner well. He chains the chains takedowns together very, very well. And on top, you know, again, he's what I look for. He's position over submission, but he actually does damage when he's down there. Uh, you know, I think he could finish this fight 
positionally as a TKO. And I think you could submit him, to be honest. I Look, I have the same cardio concerns you do. I do think they're potentially a bit overblown because of just kind of the nature of that fight. It was fought at a super high pace, and he had a headbutt, you know, in the second round. But I'm not saying he has good cardio at all. But I, I do largely agree. Like, you know, you and I were chatting earlier, and I was like, I said to you, I'm like, you know, I think he could win a decision. But it's also like, if Petrovsky does what he needs to do to win this fight, he's probably finishing like 90% of the time. Like, if he gets on top of him for eight minutes, it's very hard for me to see Gilmore surviving that. Right. So I like, you know, I don't think it's a bad play Petrovsky inside the distance minus 200, but I do kind of come down with you that I think the better play, if you're going to side on Petrovsky and play a prop here is Petrovsky round one plus 110. That's a pretty solid number. And it's probably a huge portion of his win equity. Yeah. I, I was really battling myself in terms of trying to figure out how to play this fight, but it seems as simple as that round one or even that under one and a half. Like, I don't want to overthink these spots, especially when it looks as clear as day. And I'm yeah. hoping it's not another trap spot here, but you got to believe that the massive grappling advantage that uh, Petrovsky here has and the but fact like, that he goes out there and just continuously looks for takedowns right off the bat. Right? Yeah. I, I, honestly, like last thing, I promise. But like, like you touched on, you know, I worry about a trap spot in like spots like this as well. Um, I didn't take him right off the bat at minus 350. But the reality is grappling is the most low variance aspect of MMA. You know, good grapplers beat bad grapplers. And it's usually that simple unless something goes drastically wrong. And so uh, unless he does something to fuck up or get eats a flying knee, I just don't, I think this is easy work. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up in terms of the low variance aspect of the grappling game, right? When somebody has such a massive advantage, like let's just take Murdoff, for example, right? Yeah. Everybody's expecting him to go out there and get this knockout, but like standing knockouts are a lot harder to come across than guys that you know are going to take the fight to the ground and yep. dominate their opponent on the ground. Shout out to our guy, AJ's MMA betting, AJ Sholo. That's one of his principles that he put out there is like, we put too much stock in standing knockouts. If the standing knockout doesn't occur, how does the rest of the fight go, right? Like 100% right like like you know when your guy takes this fight to the ground he's gonna have the advantage bar, bar none yeah. is michael gilmer gonna pull off fucking submission off his back hell at least i don't think so but i was gonna say you could, you could reasonably project i could make a very reasonable projection that he'll be either mounted or have his back taken in the first two minutes of the fight you know <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm like I, I'm, not, I'm not even really kidding if Petrosky comes oh, yeah. out here and goes after him he's probably gonna cut through his guard right away you know it's just the gap is that big so no, I- uh, yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. So hopefully he he does look to go out there and use his grappling on like Mark Madsen this past weekend who just decided I'm going to have three rounds of cardio and not worry about whatever Claygood is throwing my way. This That's not a shot at you by any means, John, either way. Still wasn't but I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very questionable decision. But I don't, like, like let's just quickly talk about that. I don't think you were expecting Madsen to approach no. the fight that way, correct? No, not really. No. Yeah, exactly. But that's so, MMA, right? MMA is yes. crazy. Yes, exactly. So hopefully Petrovsky doesn't have this newfound respect for his hands. Although if he does go out there and try to strike with Gilmer, he could probably get knocked the fuck out too. So that's still good for the under one and a half in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next right here. And this is like actually worthy of being on the main card here. We got Kevin Lee going up against Daniel Rodriguez. Minus 150 right now. Minus 150 right now on Kevin Lee. Plus 130 on Daniel Rodriguez. Very interested to see how this fight goes down, especially considering that we were supposed to get Kevin Lee against Sean Brady last time. Sean Brady pulls out. 
I, I hope they still end up booking that fight after this fight because that should be a phenomenal fight regardless. But Kevin Lee getting comfortable up there at 170 pounds, still not of the belief that that's probably going to be his best division. I do think the best work for him is going to come down at 150 pounds. But he's going up against a big 170 here against Daniel Rodriguez, who definitely has some power in his shots and can definitely put on Kevin Lee in the striking realm if it plays out in that realm. We definitely believe that the way for Kevin Lee to win this fight is let's get this shit to the ground. Let's try to swarm him, maybe look for a submission or look for a TKO because I think there is a massive skill advantage for Kevin Lee if this fight does hit the ground. On the feet, gets a little bit dicey. You know what I mean? I, I know Kevin Lee has that beautiful head kick knockout of Gregor Gillespie, but I think it's going to be a lot harder for him to get that off against a guy like Daniel Rodriguez in this spot. Um, Daniel Rodriguez on the flip side, try to keep this fight on the feet, try to find that knockout and use your size against a guy like Kevin Lee who has been known to gas here. I mean, luckily for Kevin Lee, this is only a three-round fight, so he doesn't have to worry about rounds four and five in this spot. But I do think that, uh, you know, we we will see that, see that cardio will still come and rear its ugly head if this fight does go late, which, you know, doesn't give me as much confidence on the Kevin Lee side as I do believe that he should blow Daniel Rodriguez out of the water in terms of grappling in this fight. But the longer that it goes, it, it just it doesn't sit well with me. I do think Kevin Lee... Uh, ekes this fight out with a decision. Okay, maybe Eek is a little bit of a, an exaggeration. I do think he wins this fight via decision. I think he lands uh, the takedowns in the first and second round. And then I think he at least lands one in the third round or at least stalemates enough that Rodriguez doesn't get anything going uh, in the third round here. So Lee by decision is currently sitting at uh, plus 215, which I actually think is a damn good line here. I do think that uh, the grappling upside for Kevin Lee will be big enough, and I do think that you'll be able to secure it over the 15-minute mark without getting into too much danger. I did think about the under two and a half in the spot, considering again, the huge grappling advantage that I get to Kevin Lee here, and the possibility of him gassing Daniel Rodriguez, knocking him out late, but I think the finishing upside is more so on the Kevin Lee side than the Daniel Rodriguez side, and even with that said, I don't think Daniel Rodriguez is a complete fish out of, off of his back on the ground. You know what I mean? I know he's a 10th planet guy. He definitely shows some competency on the ground whenever he does hit the ground, but it seems more often than not his fights are in the striking realm. We saw Mike Perry get him down not too long, but still at least land a takedown in that fight. But I do think that we'll see Kevin Lee rinse and repeat takedowns, top control, not really get full mount, but maybe get half guard, get side control, and then Daniel Rodriguez uh, retains guard or something like that. But I do likely hear Lee by decision plus 215 kind of stands out to me a lot more than I think it should. I like that. How do you see this fight going down? Yeah, I, I first of all, I like Lee a lot here generally. I bet him on the money line, minus 150. Um, you know, I touched on this on my pod last night. If it wasn't for the fact he was coming off double ACL surgery, I'd probably max bet him here. I only went one and a half units just because he is coming off surgery in both knees. Now, ACL surgery tends to be something guys recover from pretty easily. And, you know, he has been training since February. So I'm, you know, I'm guessing most of those effects are past him. But, you know, that's obviously the big question mark here. But with all that said, this is, look, I like Daniel Rodriguez. He's a guy I've backed a lot. I like his style. He's a big guy. He throws a ton of output and he's got very good cardio. Those are always things I'm looking to back in MMA. But, you know, the reality of the situation is, you know, the couple times Daniel Rodriguez has been taken down have been really concerning for me. Perry got him down once in the open space, wasn't able to work up at all. And while he was okay at retaining guard, you know, he just didn't seem to have any idea what to do. The other time he got taken down was against the fence and he gave his back to get up. We saw him give his back to get up against Victor Reyna on the regional scene. And now you have Kevin Lee who... 
just from a straight competition standpoint, Kevin Lee is such a massive step up in terms of pure athletic ability and skill. But in terms of wrestling, he is going to be the best wrestler that Rodriguez has ever fought by a couple tiers here. And like you can talk about, you know, Lee's undersized. And I actually agree with you. I do think I don't think this is the best weight class for him. He's about the same size as Mike Perry, though, and Perry was able to toss Rodriguez to the ground, you know? And so I do think Lee can get takedowns here. And based on what I've seen on Rod on the ground, I think Lee, if he gets him down in open space, holds him down, and I honestly think he's going to take his back if he gets him by the fence. Yeah, And even, you know, the cardio concerns, you know, for Lee, if you go back and look at his last fight at welterweight against Rafael Dos Anjos, now he does get finished, gassed out in the fourth round, but he goes hard for about 14 minutes before that. You know, it did not look like he was on the verge of getting finished at the end of the third round in that fight, you know. So I thought his cardio looked okay there. It's always looked okay for three rounds. It's just really, you know, when the going gets tough in five-round fights. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Lee should be able to dominate this fight. With that said, it is binary in the respect that if Rod can keep it standing, I do think he's going to piece Lee up, and I do think Lee is a bit fragile. And so there is the possibility that, you know, Rod could finish him. I just err on the side of it's such a huge step up in competition for Rod, and I have not liked how he's defended takedowns in the UFC and now taking on a wrestler of Kevin Lee's caliber. I go with Lee, and in terms of prop, I also like Lee decision. The thing is, I think he can get Rod's back, but Rod is a 10th planet black belt. I expect him to know how to defend you know, a rear naked choke uh, with a body triangle in on him, which Lee will do. And even on top, like I said, I think Rod showed okay guard retention. So I like Lee decision. I think that's closer to like a 40 to 50% outcome than where it's being priced right now. So I think that's a pretty good number. I like that a lot, and I like Kevin Lee a lot. I will say this. I know I was kind of harping on Lee's cardio a little bit too much. I think it it plays in his favor here, especially with this matchup against Daniel Rodriguez, who's not really known to be a guy that pushes the heavy pace or anything like that. So I think Lee will be okay in that aspect. It's just more so it depends on what kind of activity we're going to see from Daniel Rodriguez on the ground. Is he going to be throwing up submissions? Is he going to be looking for reversals? Is he going to make Kevin Lee work? And from what we've seen so far, it doesn't seem like he has like that super high pace, high volume that should make Kevin Lee gas, which, you know, that's normally what makes him gas is, is yeah. high level shit. Just watch the Charles Oliveira fight, right? Like that, that was one of those fights where it's just high pace, high volume, couldn't really settle on top. I feel like we'll get instances where uh, Kevin Lee actually settles on top here and actually gets to catch his breath and uh, hopefully pull off a decision victory here. All right, next up. We get over to the Ultimate Fighter finale uh, fights here. First up, we got Ricky Tercios going up against Brady Highstand. Uh, this is for the 135-pound division. In terms of odds, we're looking at uh, minus 150 for Tercios and plus 130 for Highstand. Um, Tercios, a, a guy I feel like I've been hearing a lot from, right? Like uh, I believe he was on the first edition of the uh, the Contender Series when he fought yeah. Boston Salmon and came up short in that fight. Um, I, I just keep seeing his name everywhere, and luckily for him, he's finally somewhat made it to the UFC. I know even if he doesn't win this fight, more than likely he's probably going to get at least another crack in this, which kind of just completely makes no sense for the ultimate fighter, right? Like they're, they're just saying, you want to win this thing and you'll make it to the to the UFC. But if you come in like third or fourth, you might still get a crack, right? So it's hilarious how they go about it here. But um, interesting fight, right? We got a very young Brady Heisen. I believe he's around 22, 23 years old. Very good wrestling background. Very good wrestling that he showcases inside the cage. And I feel like his win over Josh Reddinghouse is, you know, I know it was a split decision, but it was a decent uh, victory over a guy who has tremendous amount of experience in Josh Reddinghouse. If I'm not mistaken, Josh Reddinghouse 
has a win over uh, Mr. Movzar Evluev over there on the M1 scene. So he's very, very, uh, you know, experienced. And for uh, Mr. Heisland to actually have a big win over him on the uh, on the Ultimate Fighter is actually, you know, a, a very good look for him. And then obviously the next one, he goes out there and beats Vince Murdoch, who, you know, another guy that the UFC has been kind of trying to shove down our throats on the contender series <laughs> and, you know, trying to actually get into the UFC. And then now all the, the ultimate fighter, uh, that that ship has probably sailed for him now, considering he's failed every single attempt to make it into the UFC. Uh, decent wins for a high stand. My thing is more so the greenness that he shows, right? Like he still feels like, or it still feels like he needs to go out there and show some improvements in his striking. Because if he can round that part of his game out, it seems like he could be a pretty good fighter here in this uh, in the UFC. Uh, his cardio is another little bit of an issue that I feel like we need to worry about. Uh, but I do think that he should be able to go out there and secure takedowns against a guy like Tercios. Now, Tercios, very wild, right? I, I remember before watching the tape on him, somebody kind of compared him to Tony Ferguson. And he has those Ferguson-type things, right? Like, the first thing I even heard, one of the, I think it was Volkanovsky that said, this guy's weird. Like, that's the first thing I heard somebody say anything about him. And it's true, man. Yeah, the way he fights, the way he talks, everything. Uh, very wild striking style. Uh, kind of scrambly from on bottom. Can throw up submissions here and there. Uh, decent wrestling of his own. But I think he is going to struggle with the wrestling heavy approach from a high stand here. Out of the very small pool of underdog bets that we have on this card. I feel like high stand probably stands uh, the highest out of most of them in terms of being able to go out there and implement a solid game plan, hopefully for 15 minutes without getting caught, you know, with an arm bar or triangle off of his back. I do like high stand in this spot. He is kind of in the running right now for my dog of the night play for, for this weekend. Uh, I, I'm trying to find other spots that kind of tickle my fancy, you know, the under one and a half in the Mana Martinez Guido Canetti fight kind of tickled it, but now it's up to close to like even money minus 115 minus 120 and certain spots sam alvey as well but he's even sitting around minus 110 minus 115 on most spots the other one that kind of comes to mind is the under two and a half and jacoby and stewart which i've kind of like start to like a little bit more especially during this podcast but high sign is another one of those spots where you know he has that obvious path to victory grapple heavy approach i love wrestlers i love guys that can assert dominance from on top and i feel like his jujitsu is good enough to stay out of anything that tercios throws off of his back it's just when this fight is in the striking realm where i have a little bit of a concern and the longer that this fight goes i feel like tercios will be able to stuff takedowns the longer that the fight goes but i'm gonna give high stand the benefit of the doubt here i think high stand uh lands takedowns uh at least gets you know 10 minutes of good work gets some good uh you know control time wins the rounds there and then survives the third round and eventually takes home a decision so in terms of props we're looking at high stand high stand plus 130 on the money line not too bad uh high stand by decision plus 300 i like a me that spot a lot i'd be surprised if he goes out there and actually tkos tercius on the ground or finds a submission i think he grinds about over at least 10 minutes and gets a judge's decision Reel me back. Am I too high on a high stand here, or or do you share the same sentiments? Uh, again, it's a weird fight. For it's one that I haven't. I, I kind of think I have my head around it, but I also don't really feel confident in picking a side just because of kind of the level that this is at here. What I will say is, if I was going to bet a side, oh god, I don't know. I, I would probably be high stand to be honest. You know, just because I do think he has a grappling edge. My concern here is, and you touched on it a little bit. Heinstein is remarkably hittable on the feet. If he gets stuck at range for any length of time here, he's going to be in danger. And so I question whether or not he can keep the pace that he's going to need to win the fight for 15 minutes. Um, that That's like, you know, he looked in the fight with, who was it, his semifinal fight? It was a dog fight. Um, went three rounds. Um, Fuck, let me trouble. Well, either way, he looked pretty gassed out at the end of that fight. And Tercios, you know, he's not going to accept dominant positions. He will try and scramble. And so I do kind of think 
it's going to get dicey for Heinstein if it goes past the first six, seven minutes here, especially given how vulnerable he is on the feet. And so when I look at the fights, like I feel like Heinstein wins round one in a very high clip, and I sort of think Tercios wins round three in a decently high clip. So it's really – who do you think wins round two more often? And it's, it's, it's for me, it's tough. Like, I'm not really sure. You know, like I said, with that being the case, I would lean towards Einstein, you know, in terms of value on the money line. In terms of props, like I said, I don't, it's not the best read that I've ever had in a fight. And so, like, I don't love a lot here. The one prop that kind of sticks out to me, and it's a lottery ticket, but Einstein round one plus 725, that's going to be his best round. He is going to look to grapple hard and he's going to look to finish. You know, that's just kind of what he does. He's going to look to advance. He's going to look to take the back. And, I kind of think he has a pretty good shot to get dominant positions on Tercios early. Like Tercios will scramble, but he will give up some pretty awkward spots. And so plus 700, I, I, I kind of like it because I do think, you know, again, I think that's a decent chunk of how, of how often Heinstein wins this is around one finish. Interesting. Uh, again, uh, his last fight, I believe, was against Vince Murdoch, where he knocked him out. And then the fight was the before that was Josh Reddinghouse, which I believe went the full three rounds. And shout out to yeah. my guy, Big Bird PH, kind of fact checking me here. It was Morozov, not Movzar. And yes, I should have known that. Guys' names are too close. God damn it. But yeah, Sergey Morozov is who he beat and then ended up losing to in the rematch, but definitely has some good, um, uh, experience and stuff on his belt. So that was definitely a good win for high stand here. I like high stand by decision. Uh, uh, John likes him by knockout here. Uh, I believe the line currently high stand round one is plus 725. High stand by a knockout is plus 705. So some decent value there if that that's where you like um, this fight going. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Co-main event slot and also the ultimate fighter finale for the 185 pound division. We got Brian Battle going out there and taking on Gilbert Urbina. I believe Urbina stepping in here for Trishon Gore who yep. looked like a very good talent on the on the show, and I hope to see him back. I'm sure they'll match him up with whoever ends up winning this fight. I believe they did that with Luis Pena and uh, Mike Trezano as well for that show as well. Um, but yeah, interesting fight here. Somewhat low level. Um, when running the tape on Brian Battle, apparently he was very highly touted coming from the amateur scene, but once you actually look at his amateur record, you see he has wins over Impa Kasanganai and uh, Cody Brundage, who I believe is uh, Mr. ABC, Mr. Amanda Bobby Cooper, uh, who had his uh, lights turned out by William Knight on the Contender Series. Um, I, I don't mind what I see from Battle. It seems like if you watch his fights from like his first pro fight to like his fights on the Ultimate Fighter, you see a clear progression, especially in his striking, right? Like he seemed very... Um, very rudimentary with the striking. He almost seemed uncomfortable in the striking in his first yeah. fight. But then you see a comfortability that he starts to build, especially with his kicks. He likes to throw the kick out there, whether it's to the body, whether it's to the head, whatever the hell it is. It's more so it seems like a, a distance finder or um, you know something just to manage the distance and then eventually start to go in for the takedown because that seems to be where he uh, really starts to... Um, you know, round out his game is when he gets the fight to the ground and starts grinding out his opponents. He's a big dude, six foot one at 185 pounds, but very thick as well. I believe he posted something on Instagram today or yesterday uh, saying that he's at a 201 pounds. So he has about 16 pounds to cut uh, to get down to 185 pounds uh, come by Friday, which is tomorrow. I believe he posted Jesus that Christ. yesterday or the day before. Definitely wasn't today if he's at 201. <clears throat> it definitely was the day before the day after um, or the day before that. But Regardless, big boy, uh, Gilbert Urbina, obviously coming in somewhat short notice. Um, you know, it's weird. Like, you feel like you hear the Urbina name 
so often, right? Hector Urbina also made it to the UFC. Uh, I believe they're brothers, if I'm not mistaken. All these guys just, you know, it's a fighting family, pretty much. Uh, long, lanky dude. I believe he's six foot three at this 185 pound division. Uh, has a wrestling background. You see a little bit on display earlier in his regional scene. Seems a little uncomfortable on the feet. Seems to just have like those blitz attacks where he just kind of comes forward and just lands a couple strikes. Um, but obviously, we saw in his last fight against Trishon Gordon, he doesn't seem to like to get hit, man. Like almost every shot that Trishon was throwing out there, it seemed like we saw a very bad reaction from Urbina. Luckily for him, this isn't Trishon Gore standing across from him again. This is Brian Battle, who, you know, his bread and butter is his grappling. He's going to want to look to get this fight to the ground and kind of grind out uh, Urbina. With that said, he could possibly go out there and just win this fight off of kicks. Urbina is very low volume. It doesn't seem like he commits too much to the striking. It doesn't seem like he commits too much to the grappling either, which leads me to believe that Battle should get the better of the grappling exchanges, and he should get the better of the striking exchanges it's just the level of competition that these guys have gone up against which doesn't give me enough confidence to go actually go out there and bet them like brian battle i'm not gonna lie on paper before i actually ran the tape on any of these guys he was in the lead for me as the lock of the night play for this evening because i wasn't that big on uh, gilbert abina but i want to be a little bit more sure on the guy that i'm putting money on and i'm definitely more sure that petrosky is going to go out there ground ground the fight against michael gilmer <laughs> and try to look for a finish and hit, get me that under one and a half rather than you know kind of sweating out brian battle to go out there and win a 15 minute fight i think this fight goes 15 minutes i do think that the over two and a half it's in this fight i do think we see uh mr um Mr. Battle, when grind this fight out, pretty much win the majority of the minutes here. My one concern, and it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on Brian Battle's uh, record, that armbar loss that he had in his second fight. You know, Ar Urbina, you know, albeit not a great jujitsu or wrestling guy, he does have some kind of, you know, some decent transitions. He can throw up some missions here and there. I feel like he can make it a little bit more difficult for Battle to settle on top than most other guys. Uh, that gives me a little bit of pause. I think the line is somewhat right maybe could be a little bit closer but i do like battle in the spot i do think battle wins by decision as well which currently sits at plus 210 i don't mind that line here again i like the overs as well in this fight uh over two and a half is the widely available line and that sits at minus 140 but i would rather pick the spot that i think is going to win as well and get some good plus money on it plus 210 i believe is what i just said for brian battle by decision plus 210 yep and that's the side that i'm going to be going with how do you feel about this am i too low on urbina here or am i you know right on the nail i don't know if you're not low enough on urbina to be honest oh, okay. with you. <laughs> <laughs> like low enough to the point but, that you think battle actually gets a finish or what no so i actually like the decision play as well but okay. I, I guess you know it's funny because, you know, initially when I went to tape it, I looked at both their tapos first and I saw Urbina fought Sean Brady. And I'm like, that's interesting. You know, that could provide some data. You know, Sean Brady's good. You know, he's faced a pretty good competition. No, Urbina's horrible, man. And and it's like, I, I don't want to completely shit on the guy because like, I do think his offensive striking, like his kicks and his like, you know, his hands aren't horrible, but he doesn't really let them go much. I don't think he's particularly dangerous. Like, you know, he subbed Michael Gilmore on the Ultimate Fighter, but, you know, we talked about Michael Gilmore's ground game a little earlier. You know, that's not really a massive achievement to me. And so I struggle to see where he's better than Battle. Like, when I think about Battle and his game, look, I don't think he's the most dangerous or imposing fighter, you know, I've ever seen, but he does keep a good pace. His defensive grappling is strong. You know, he actually, even in the first round when Petrowski was fresh, he actually gave him a bit of a hard time and didn't go down for free early in that fight. And so, you know, I do think he can probably keep the fight standing for as long as he wants. I think his striking is a bit cleaner. I think he's going to keep a much higher pace. So, yeah, I mean, skill for scale, I just think he's got her being a covered probably everywhere here. The weird thing for me is I like decision because I don't think he hits that hard. Like, if you actually go back and watch 
I forgot who it was. It might have been his first fight, but he had a dude like getting up in his face and just letting him punch him in the face, and it wasn't really doing like that much. Which I'm not saying, you know, that guy was probably just durable, but also I, I just don't think he's a huge hitter. I do get concerned because Urbina's reaction to Gore, reactions to Gore's punches were really bad, pretty much from the jump in that fight. But Gore seems like he hits pretty hard, so you know I'll kind of give it a pass there. But yeah, I expect this is going to just be kind of a boring fight to be honest with you where battle kind of just easily outpoints him on the outside to be honest like i've this is the one money line that i've thought about of these contenders fights is battle here because i i just i, I mean again tell me if i'm wrong because i kind of agree with you i just struggle to see where urbina can win this fight consistently i i don't i can see ryan battle i can picture ryan battle having competitive fights with like the lower tier middleweights i cannot picture urbina having competitive ufc fights if you know what i mean for me, it's like I've seen battle taken down. I've seen him kind of not struggle with grappling situations at points, but like I know Urbina has a bit of a wrestling background. I know that's something that I could potentially look to lean on here to potentially get some minutes or win some win win a round or two in this spot. With that's mainly the thing that kind of keeps me away from battle as being a lock than I play in this spot is that like Urbina could make it sketchier. And again, we need to see a little bit more from battle to be completely, you know, set to be like, okay, this guy should win at a very high clip and this should be a, a gift of a line. But I don't know, man, something about Urbina um, and, and even his grappling background, it's a little bit of a concern for sure. And uh, yeah, minus 170 for battle in this spot. A bit that is a fair that that is a fair point too because like all three of these tough fights you're really getting getting lfa level fights right they're yes. not like you're trying to treat them and cap them the way you cap a ufc fight but the variance level is just way way higher yeah like, like again i pretty much started off this breakdown by saying like i feel much more comfortable with petrosky taking yeah. down gilmore and looking for a club and sub or a finish or whatever the fuck it is compared to battle going out there and trying to win 15 minutes if he had more power in his hands i'd be a little bit more inclined to be like okay he wins this fight but the issue is like, does he have enough power in his hands to make Gilbert Urbina fight the way he did against Trishan Gore, which was very tentative, right? Like, he didn't want to close the distance, do anything in that fight. And Gore was landing just pretty much at will in that fight. I don't know if we'll see that same success from battle. It's true. And the one other thing I'll give to say to give credence to Urbina is, you know, battle will give up the back of the front foot. You know, he's kind of happy to fight off the back foot, which... To kind of do your point, if it's a striking fight that's, you know, fairly low volume and low level, you know, giving up the center of the cage for 15 minutes is a good way to lose a close decision. Optically speaking, that's not what you want to do. Even if no. you're landing the better shots, judges, you know, oh, that guy's <laughs> moving forward. He probably wins this fight, right? <laughs> like, it's not a good look at all. All right, let's move on to the main event here. And I can't wait to fucking talk about this fight. But I've had the most difficulty in terms of breaking down this fight. I'm picking a side here. We got Edson Barboza going up against Giga Chikadze. We got minus 120 right now on Edson Barboza and plus 100 on Giga Chikadze. It's pretty much been a pick em for the majority of the week. But it seems like the line is slowly starting to come in on Edson Barboza. And it seems like the, uh, the love is pretty much all out there for Edson Barboza from pretty much from what I've been seeing. Now... The, the 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 main thing, the elephant in the room that we can talk about in this fight is the level of competition between these guys, right? Yiga Chikadze coming off fighting fucking Jamie Simmons and Cub Swanson or the ghost of Cub Swanson compared to Edson Barboza, who's just been competing at a high level pretty much from the jump. Um, Giga Chikadze, although somewhat still young in his MMA career, like he's still trying to find his mold. Like this might be too quick of a jump and too quick of a of a rise, especially going up against a guy like Edson Barboza. And to do it in a five round fight where you know that uh, Giga Chikadze has shown an act to kind of slow down and has a little bit of cardio issues, 
that's a big, you know, I think he's biting off more than he can chew in this fight against Edson Barboza. With that said, I still think he's very dangerous in the striking realm, albeit he's not as high volume as what Barboza brings to the table. He still has some nasty power. He has some that giga kick and all that type of shit. Like, I know he has some good tools in his back pocket, glory kickboxing background and all that, albeit that's kickboxing and this is MMA. I still feel like he can go out there and give Edson Barboza some issues. The, 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 the difference, though, is that I think that Barboza's ability to continue to maintain a pace and maintain activity is not going to allow Giga Chikadze to truly get comfortable in there. Leg kicks, body kicks, you know, Barboza stays active. He gets hit, but he stays active. That's the difference, right? And the durability of Barboza at 145 pounds was widely questioned. A lot of people thought he would just ultimately just immediately go to sleep anytime anybody punches him. But the guy's durability is hold held up. Like we said at the top of the show, he could easily be 3-0. and You know, that Dan Ige fight, very close fight, could have gone either way. He could be 3-0 and in this spot at 145 pounds and really starting to carve out a spot uh, for himself at 145 pounds. Against Shane Burgos, you know, I, I felt like a lot of people were on Shane Burgos in that spot. And, uh, you know, Burgos, it's come to be known that the guy just loves to eat punches with his face, right? Like the guy doesn't have any good striking defense and that's Burgos was not teeing off on him but having a lot of success letting his strikes go and then obviously uh comes out with that third round knockout beautiful third round knockout there for barboza i ever so slightly lean on the barboza side here i think that his volume is ultimately going to catch up to giga and i think that giga will start to slow down the later that this fight goes and i will ultimately see barboza get him out of there probably in the third fourth or fifth round of this fight i like the under four and a half i think that in a fight where we're pretty much going to be seeing striking from both sides I'd be surprised if we see grappling. If we do, I think it'll be more so from the Barboza side, if anything. But I do think that Barboza will be confident enough in his striking to let his strikes go, let that kind of accumulate, and then get Giga out of there uh, the later that this fight goes. So the under four and a half currently sits at minus 130. I don't mind that. Uh, Barboza by KO plus 270. But again, another spot where you guys can go out there and possibly tackle the round props here. Barboza round three plus 1100. Barboza round four plus 1450. And Barboza round five plus 2075. I like Barboza, but ever so slightly. And I'd rather just take those small shots on the uh, on those props rather than just laying the money line in this spot. But I have a feeling you're quite more confident in the money line in this spot. How do you feel about this main event? <laughs> Yeah, so look, I will give a prop out here, but all I'm gonna say is like, I think the money line is the best way to play this fight. I love Barboza here. I'm not gonna say what I said to you privately, Locke. I'm gonna keep it PG for the kids, <laughs> but I, but I think he is going to abuse Giga. To be honest, now look, I don't want to take anything away from Giga and say Giga can't win. Sure, Giga clearly hits hard. He could hit a body kick and put him out. He could KO him early in this fight. If this goes past the early stages, I think Barboza takes him apart, though. Uh, you know, you'll recall, like, when if anybody remembers the Joe Rogan, like, takedown of Brendan Schaub after he lost to Travis Brown, you know, he has an interesting – he speaks about – he spends about an hour, 40 minutes telling Brendan Schaub why he shouldn't be – he should stop fighting in the UFC and he can't beat elite competition. But he mentioned something that always stuck with me. Like, there's a fluidity of movement that top-level fighters have that the ones who are outside that top level don't have. And that just, for me, applies so much here. Like, you look at the two of them, and obviously from a technical standpoint – Giga is he's he's an excellent technical striker. There's really no question about it. But if you look at Barboza, you know, just the way he moves, the athleticism, the speed, you know, just his ability to make reads in the pocket, they're just on a different level than Giga, in my opinion. Uh, in terms of technique, you know, Barboza's there as well, but he also does, you know, attritional work that Giga really hasn't had to face in the UFC, the leg kicks, the body work, 
all stuff that no one's really thrown at Giga. And we know Giga has a poor gas tank. You know, this is probably going to be the first time in Barboza's career where he's at, or in recent career, where he's had a gas tank advantage in, in a fight. And so, like, I struggle to see Giga keeping Barboza's pace, one, because he's low volume. Two, he has those gas tank issues, and Barboza is going to do stuff that's going to slow him down. Uh, three, I think he's just a lot faster. Fourth, you know, we again, you touched on it. The level of competition between these two guys is absolutely massive. You know, the Cub win was nice, but he can, can knock them out in a minute. Like, we couldn't really take anything from the fight to see what happened when it got extended. Other than that, you know, we saw him go in life and death with Brandon Davis and Jamal Emmers not that long ago. And, like, I like Jamal Emmers, but he is not on this level that he that is fighting right now. Um yeah, I just think it's way too big a step up for him, to be completely honest with you. It reminds me a lot of when Barboza fought Hooker, and Hooker went off at even money with him after KOing Jim Miller and Mark Jacasey. You know, people get really hyped up about, uh, you know, win streaks in the UFC and just kind of forget, you know, when you get to the level Edson's at, you're not going to rip off five, six, seven wins in a row. The competition's too good up there. You know, Giga is beating not cans, but mostly lower tier competition. And the one kind of higher tier one he did with Cub. You you can call Jamie Simmons a cat. It's fine. Jamie it's fine. Si Jamie Simmons is a cat. <laughs> and Urban Rivera yes. in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and again, yeah. You know, so it, it's like, and you look at the one time, the Cub, he's like top 15 to 20 now, probably featherweight, but he's an old man and it was over with a body kick. And so like I see Barboza, you know, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ige in a fight he arguably won, take apart Burgos like that. You know, those guys are all would all be heavy favorites against every guy that Giga has beaten on this in his run in the UFC, you know? And so, like, yeah, I just don't see it. I think this is a massive misprice. Look, again, I give Giga a chance to KO Barboza early in this fight. I think you have to. He is dangerous. We have seen that. But if this gets through the first, like, seven, eight minutes, I think he's just going to get cut to ribbons here. I think Barboza is literally better at everything. And look, like you said, I don't expect him to do it, but if he wants, Barboza can probably grapple him here. Barboza's a decent grappler, you know? He just gets underrated because he got smashed by Khabib and Kevin Lee for 10 straight rounds. Uh, but yeah, I think he's the spot here. And in terms of a prop, I like the Barboza KO line, to be honest, because at some point, if Giga doesn't put him out and Barboza's taking over the fight, we have seen Giga slow dramatically after about nine nine minutes in his fights before. Now you're telling me he's going to go 25, eating the kind of punishment he's going to take from Barboza. I'm not really buying it, to be honest. I like Barboza KO. And kind of to your point, if you're a little sketched out on this fight, you think it's close and that I'm crazy, I agree with Locke. Take the under. Because I do think, you know, the longer it goes, the more it favors Edson, clearly. And I think that's, you know, the largest part of Giga's win equity is an early finish. So, yeah, I love Barboza. I love Barboza KO. And I like the under. Shout out to guy Tristan Sherhouse, live at Barboza for round one. I think that's a damn good look if he can get a line that's somewhat near or better than his pre-fight line. Would you agree, John? Yes and no. The problem is, like, what if Barboza just lands 15 leg kicks and gigas on one leg after a round, you know? Then, then you're sitting here and it's minus 270 Barboza yeah, yeah. after a round, well, right? well, that's what I mean. If you can get it to the pre-fight yeah. line or better than the pre-fight line, then yeah. Sure. Hit it. I mean, I would say even a little past that. Like, if, if Barboza is still there and hasn't been badly compromised – and you have him like minus like 185 or better after round one, I'd probably take it to be honest. I like it. I like it. Uh, it should deliver as a main event for sure though, right? Like it's a, it's a great fight. Stylistically speaking, both guys are strikers, but we obviously know Barboza has a little bit more, well, not a little bit more, a fuck ton more experience inside that UFC cage. And I can't wait to see how it plays out. All right, let's move on to pretty much everybody's favorite segment of the show is our three best prop bets. And uh, I got a little bit of the, the graphics back up for you guys. So let's make this show nice and pretty like you guys enjoy it. Um, 
First and foremost, though, I got to announce the cast for tomorrow. We have the Ultimate Wayne Show, UFC Vegas 35, 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. We got some reoccurring guests. We got my guy Luke from Sparring with Reality, another club and sub member who didn't get to have his uh, thoughts shared on the club and sub podcast last night. So he'll be doing so tomorrow night with me, uh, as well as our guy Andrew from MMA Knockout Bets. He's really, I believe he's on vacation right now, but still carving out time to be on the show with us. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then probably the guy that's meteorically rising within the MMA uh, YouTube scene and breakdown scene, our guy Uncle Weezy. Super great with the statistics. Love the guy. Great character. Probably one of the best guys out there that I love following and love uh, kind of ingesting his content. I always love working with him, and it was a no-brainer to bring him back on the show. So tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern, sparring with Reality Luke, uh, Andrew from MMA Knockout Bets, and our guy Uncle Weezy dropping the stats for us, 9 p.m. tomorrow night. Last time, we're going to be breaking down this card for you guys. All right, let's get into the props here. And first and foremost, we're... Uh, oh, we'll go with mine first. Uh, I like Petrovsky round one, plus 110. Uh, right off the bat, uh, more than likely my lock on that I play for this card is going to be the under one and a half in this fight. I think the skill gap is just too wide, especially when it comes to the grappling. I think we see Petrovsky ground this fight within 30 to 45 seconds of the first bell and then quickly find mount like John was talking within the first two minutes of this fight. And then, uh, you know, we see Gilmore <laughs> either give up his back or we see Petrovsky just rain all hell and grimstone on his face from full mount uh, and open up a sub... Uh, situation or a ground and pound finish for himself so i like petrovsky round one plus 110 i see some people pointing out the sub line but again it's so difficult to tell when you got a, such a great grappler here that can choose whether he wants to go tko or or submission so let's just save it take the inside the distance for petrovsky if you want but more than likely it's going to happen in round one plus 110 i like that line secondly i like martinez and Canetti. fight doesn't go to decision minus 260 i know it's a little bit juicy here but i feel like one of these guys is going to get put out in this fight if the widely available line was under two and a half that would more than likely be my locker than i play for this card however i'll go with the fight doesn't go to decision again chalky but feels like one of the safest plays on the card uh maybe a parlay piece if you guys like doing that as well but i do like martinez and Kennedy to get the fight done minus 260 and then lastly i'm gonna go with brian battle via decision plus 205 i think he goes out there and grinds out uh gilbert urbina again like i said during our breakdowns he was damn close to being a lock of the night play for me but i just need to see a little bit more from him with that said plus 205 i think both guys are durable enough and i think that we'll see battle just grind on this guy whether it's from the outside uh with the with the distance striking or just land a couple of takedowns and just grind them out from on top so i like brian battle via decision at plus 205 all right john it's on over to you, brother. Yeah, first up, I got Kevin Lee via decision plus 200. Yeah, I mean, the thinking here is basically, look, I mentioned it earlier. I love Lee in this spot. I think he's going to ground rod and pretty much control him this entire fight. Uh, I do not, despite his ability to take backs, think he's likely to sub Rodriguez. Rodriguez seems to have confident sub defense. So even though I expect Lee to be able to get him down and hold him down there, I don't think a finish is particularly likely here. I have Lee personally priced around 70% here, and I priced Lee's Lee decision at about 50%. So I think you're getting a decent bit of value on this line. Next up. Next up, we have Al Razak Al Hassan and Alessio DeCirico. Fight goes to decision plus 115. Thinking is here look, you might sweat this one in round one. Obviously, Al Hassan is a big hitter. But DeChirico has been very durable throughout his career. Uh, Alisson does not seem to be hitting the same way he did earlier in his career at this point. And he's looked really bad at 185. I kind of, you know, I think 
KO1 is a very live outcome. I would say it's something in the 20 to 25% range here. But I think once you get through that first round, this is going to be pretty safe. You know, Alisson's probably going to guess out, but the Chirico is not the kind of guy who's going to attack submissions aggressively or just ever really step on the gas. And as a result, I just I think Alisson's KO possibility dwindles dramatically after the first round. And I think the chances of Chirico finishing aren't great. And as kind of consequently, I think this should be slight favorite to end to go the distance, I should say. So I think the plus 115 is a decent value. And last up, I got Sam Alvey winning via KO plus 300. I mentioned I bet him straight, but I do think this is the best you know path to victory for him here. The bottom line is, look, I'm always a guy who's pretty hesitant to call people chinny, but we saw Terman get nuked by Andrew Sanchez, who's not a big hitter, and then get KO'd unconscious in guard. That's remarkably concerning. You combine that with the fact that Terman, he's very aggressive and has no defense at all, and you know, you know he's going to get hit a lot in this fight and get hit square, especially because... I don't think he's going to be able to have the clinch success he's been able to in most of his fights. Alvey's obviously very strong in the clinch. He's the bigger guy here and can probably outmuscle Terman there. So I think you're going to get a lot of standing exchanges at distance. And with that being the case, you know, Alvey's a big hitter. He, I think he's got like a 1.5% knockdown rate, which is very, very strong. And we have Terman who doesn't really have much of a chin. The opportunities to finish him are going to be there. And I think if you were to say Alvey lands 40 to 50 strikes this fight, I almost think that becomes like a 35, 40% outcome. And so plus 300, I think, is a pretty great line for paying for Alvi's best, you know, most likely win condition. Personally, I'm kind of surprised that it's better than plus 200 to begin with. I think that, you know, uh, any other prop for Alvi is kind of outlandish to me from to win by decision yeah. or even win by submission. So to get plus 300 on Alvi by KO is a bit of a gift here. All right. Uh, we do also have Cody's plays here that he did drop to me before we went live here. So we'll go over those. Obviously, I can't provide any explanation for them. So you guys are just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> what his plays are here. First and foremost, he likes JJ Aldridge for your decision at minus 170. You guys know Cody likes playing the safe props here to try to cash those. He did go three for three last week. So let's give him some props there. I think the one that I hated, which he actually ended up cashing, was Bahamundes via decision plus 300. So we got to listen to him over there. Uh, secondly, he likes Joe Mirshart and Mahmoud Muradov to go over one and a half, minus 125. I don't mind that play there. And then lastly, he likes Brady Highstand via decision at plus 270. So we kind of align on our thinking in that spot as well. So there you guys have it. All three of our, whoops, sorry, there we go. All three of our uh, three best bets. Um, Cody won't be back until at least UFC 266, which is the end of September, but we still got my guy, John. I know you guys are loving the chemistry that me and my guy, John, have here. So just a matter of time before people stop asking, where's Cody? Because my guy, John, <laughs> definitely fills his shoes and then some. So I love always doing it here. John, I'm going to swing it on over to you for any last-minute thoughts you want to say on the way out here, brother. Yeah, no, just enjoy the fights these guys, the, uh, the fights this weekend, guys. And bet Edson Barboza. Do yourselves a favor. He's going to cash us a big bag. Uh, if you for uh, me, you can find me on Twitter at MMA Fox and on the Club and Sub Podcast every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and that is on YouTube at the Club and Sub Podcast. Yes, and obviously Club and Sub Podcast channel is linked below. So make sure you guys go click that and then hit them with the subscribe because you guys will thank me for it later, I promise. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much a wrap on my end. Again, tomorrow night, Ultimate Wayne Show, 9 p.m. nine p.m. Eastern. Me, Uncle Weezy, Luke from Sparring with Reality Betting and Club and Sub Podcast. And then lastly, Andrew from MMA Knockout Bets. Great crew that we have put together for you guys to break down the card one last time for you guys. The weigh-ins kick off in about... 
12, 13, 14 hours. So we'll have that under our belt and definitely can, you know, get that into our insight to give you guys our last minute bets here. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what Brian Battle looks like on the scale, especially if he was 201 pounds uh, just a, a day or two ago. Hopefully that weight cut is going well for him. All right. On behalf of myself and John, we appreciate you guys checking out the show. Hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Go over there and subscribe to the club and sub channel. Again, the link is in the description below as well as Cody's channel is in the description below. Make sure you guys go sub to that. We will see you guys tomorrow night for the Ultimate Wayne Show. War, Edson Barboza, and Petrosky round one. <laughs> Let's go. There it is.